Welcome, my friends. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Wednesday, October 12th. That means it's time for Destination Health. We've got a big day lined up today. Uh, Starting right now, we're going to be welcoming back a special guest, David Stelzer from Azure Standard. We'll bring him in in just a couple minutes here. If you have any questions uh, for David, we can talk about several topics. We will be talking about several topics today. If you want to jump in with questions, we'll be talking about, obviously, food and all of those things uh, that Azure does, but also uh, driving jobs, great opportunities. We can talk about um, the driving jobs available as well. So lots going on. Also, um, a little different today. We're doing this first segment of Destination Health. Um, Normally, we go on to uh, After Hours, but today we are doing a recorded show. So if you were listening last week, I'm working with Danielle on some adaptogen therapies, and uh, we'll be recording those shows as I work through that. So uh, we'll get those posted after they're recorded. So right now is your opportunity. If you want to jump in with questions, um, we will take those. I'm going to bring David in right now, and we're going to get started. David, welcome back. Oh, hold on one second. I think I hit some wrong buttons here. Let's try that one more time. Good morning. Good morning. There you are. All right. Ah, so great to have you back. How's your summer been? Oh, good. Good. Yes, thanks. How's yours? Good. Good. You know, you know, you don't live far away from me here. Spring was kind of goofy this year, really cold and wet. I couldn't get anything to grow in the garden. I couldn't get peas to grow in the garden this year in the spring. It was so bad. And then overnight it changed and we had a beautiful hot summer and the garden took off and it's been pretty wonderful. Yeah, pretty nice fall too. Can't ask for much better. No, I was uh, I was out trying to get in the water yesterday, and but the wind died. So, but it's still you know it's still plenty warm to be out playing in the water here. Yeah, that's amazing. So, but um, how have things been going business wise, drivers? And it's been uh, you know, it's such a crazy environment in so many ways. There's so many things we could talk about, but uh, how are things going? Well, it's been a it's been an interesting interesting year, uh, you know. As far as getting stuff delivered, we're getting it done, so Good. that's Good. positive. But uh, you know, it's, you know, the whole supply chain has been you know very messed up from a food <laughs> perspective. I'll bet. I'm really uh, very happy that we have really long and deep relationships with many farmers and suppliers. Good. Because if Good. we didn't, I think we'd be in, uh, you know, having a, having a rough time. There's still a few items that are really hard to get. Um, you know, not only was, you know, were we in a very sh- short food supply cycle, the shortest I remember in the 30 years I've been doing this. Wow. Um, <clears throat> but then, you know, we have the war in Ukraine on top of it, which messed up, you know, a lot of the supply chain to Europe. 
put more pressure on North American products going to Europe instead of um, Ukrainian. So it exasperated the problem. Although, you know, in a general sense, the U.S. had a average crop this year. Not a not a bumper crop. Few things were, you know, were above average. Okay. Um, but for the most for the most part here in the U.S., we had, you know, a pretty a pretty average crop. Few things above, a few things below, but the bulk grains and things like that. Wheat crop was pretty much an average wheat crop. A little better here out west. Uh, they had about 30% above average. Back in, you know, the Midwest, uh, southern Midwest, where they had the droughts and stuff, it was 30 40% below average. Kind of all averaged out to yeah. about a pretty close to an average crop okay. nationwide. So that did fill the supply chain somewhat with a new crop. So, right. you know, there's a little bit of relief there, but, you know, long-term, our, you know, our national food supply is still, you know, for this time of year, is at an all-time low still. That's a scary not thought. Saying, not saying we're running out. No, <laughs> I know, but, you know, it, it, you know, you said something in the business you're in and your experience, you're seeing things that haven't happened in 30 years. When did they happen? We don't know, uh, but we know it's been a long time. We, when we talk about the economy, we're talking about things that happen, haven't happened in 40 years. You know, we're going back to the early 80s and the stagflation we had, and we're talking about that. And, it, you know, in trucking, we talk about we hadn't seen rates like this, and we haven't seen fuel prices like this. And there are so many things happening in our world, and we keep saying this hasn't ever happened before, or it hasn't happened in four decades, or, and they all seem to be happening at once. That seems to be what is really confusing about this, is so many things have changed in such a fast pace. Well, <clears throat> you're right. I, uh, you know, it seems like it's, yeah, it's been uh, quite quite a ride. <laughs> yeah. The, the last yeah, the last year year or so has been really, yeah. You talk about inflation. I mean, obviously, food is a big contributor to that. Food prices have gone up substantially yeah. because of this short supply situation that we're in. And of course, you know the the price of of fuel doesn't help that either. Right. Yeah. And <clears throat> yeah. So um, you know this this idea of the the food cost just continuing to go up and when we you know we've been through these cycles before we've been through sessions we know what kind of products are really vulnerable you know the high-end you know consumer stuff vacations travel those are things people don't have to do there are a lot of things we spend money on in good times that we can just say when when things aren't going so well we can just say well we're just not going to do that we're not going to take a vacation this year. We're not going to buy a new car or whatever. But food is food. You have to eat. We have to eat every day. There's, so, <laughs> you know, we when we think about, you and I talked about all the, um, 
all the happenings at food, you know, factories. And it just seemed odd. There was a lot of stuff going on. The other thing, and I don't know if I'm just hypersensitive to it now and I'm watching for it, but it seems like there have been an awful lot of food recalls lately too. And we always have them. They've always been around, but it just seems like in the last year, there have been a lot more problems with the food safety in our food supply system. Well, I, you know, in my opinion, a lot of that has to do with the new FISMA rules that came out, oh, I guess about three or four years ago now. FDA is just starting to enforce those. Oh, okay. And a lot of people didn't, yeah, a lot of people didn't modernize properly. Got it. Okay. And so I, I wouldn't say that the food has actually been less safe. I'd say it's more that FDA is enforcing rules that they didn't used to enforce. Which still has Um, the same effect on the supply chain when they recall all this food. So it's good to know that it, it isn't really getting less safe, that it's still, you know, about the same. But if they're, you know, now enforcing rules that they weren't and they're recalling more food, that just puts even more strain on the supply chain oh absolutely yeah no every you know if they recall a huge recall all that food gets thrown away it's not you know yeah yeah and and nobody dares do anything with it (laughs) right right and normally we have so much food and so much food waste in this country that you know this was just part of doing business but now all of a sudden i'm looking at all of this that's going on and just thinking differently. It's kind of, you know, almost what I want to make the theme of the show today. You're the perfect person to talk about this kind of stuff. Um, I do a lot of financial planning. A big part of my show is helping people with, you know, their finances, money, investments, retirement. Okay. Um, I've been doing that for a couple decades. So people will ask me, where should I be investing? Should I, you know, they're worried about the stock market because the news is bad. Their real estate is a mess right now. The price of real estate is way up. Interest rates are way up. Um, We're still not to the point where, you know, savings accounts are really paying anything, although it looks a little better than it did. Uh, But honestly, I've been you know, my first answer for a while was just bury it in your backyard. I don't know where to put money right now because there, mm-hmm. there's no place good. Everything is overpriced. Everything is on a bubble. Um, I would even be careful about having all of your money in the bank. You should have a, you know, a decent amount of cash somewhere other than a bank. Because we also know we're in a different world where we have, you know, Russia talking about cyber attacks. And I mean, they could shut down our banking system for a week. Uh, And what would you do if you didn't have cash? So, but when I started thinking about this, so when we're in a time like this, what do you do with your money? I mean, I really don't want people to bury it in the backyard, but uh, I got thinking. Really the best place to spend money today, we are seeing... Month over month, we're seeing 8% inflation. So if you pre-buy consumables, things you know you're going to use, you use them all the time, 
if we pre-buy and we buy in bulk, we're getting an 8% return. There's no place else I can tell you to get an 8% return. So pre-buying food and buying food in bulk and even investing if you have to get freezers or dehydrators or getting into canning, you know, preserving your own food. Um, right now, that's just a really good financial move. But, you know, anything you use, paper products, um, anything we consume over and over and over. You know, I even talked about in business, you know, we're, we're seeing crazy prices on parts for trucks and pre-buying parts even that we know we're going to need or pre-buying tires. Tires prices have gone through the roof. Pre-buying oil. Um, anything you can do like that right now. Every time you pre-buy something, we're just saving that that inflation that's just rampant right now. And honestly, when it comes to food, it's just not a bad idea to get a little more involved in your own food supply. <clears throat> well, I agree. And certainly, I mean, even if it isn't just for that, people in Florida kind of oh, learned yeah. that they needed to have Good a little point. food. Yeah. You know, things things like that can happen that is unexpected. Yes, absolutely. It can happen and do happen. They happen all the time. Every Every part of the country has some sort of emergency like that they may have to deal with. We're we don't have a lot here, but summertime, we have several months there where fire dangers, you know, always an issue and a pretty big one not that long ago. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. so they're really every place in the country. And, you know, again, I, I don't want to sound like, uh, you know, black helicopter conspiracy theory, but the, our power grid. If you live in a place where you think there aren't any real natural disasters to worry about, well, your power could go out. Uh, for several reasons. Our power grid's not in that great of shape, we're finally learning. And we have other countries who have hacked into our electrical grid. We know they have. There, there have been threats of cyber attacks like that. So it's just this idea of getting prepared. I talk about it a lot. Um, I, you're just a, a great resource for this. Um, right now, I just yesterday was just finally finishing up um, like I was talking about earlier, the garden was just awesome this year. Once it got started, I planted, I, I was worried that the, the summer was starting so late that, you know, plants aren't going to have time to get big. They're not going to put out a lot of produce. So my answer to that was, well, plant more. You know, if your plants are going to be small and they're not okay. going to put out a lot, well, plant more then. You know, so I really organized the space and fit everything in. So I probably planted, uh, it was like 90 tomato plants. I think I got it into about, I don't know, 400 square feet maybe. Really not that much oh, space. Right. I planted them pretty tight. Actually, they're your seeds too. Your Amish paste tomatoes. Cool. I got the seeds from you. Oh, those are nice. Those are the most amazing tomato. So we probably ended up with about 200 pounds of tomatoes in that 400 square feet. And we canned like 75 quarts of tomato products. Salsas, <laughs> sauces. Yeah, 75 quarts. That's a lot of food. Yeah, you can. It, gardens uh, are a big contributor for sure. I, I'm I'm really to, uh, shocked 
Yeah, this is, you know, like my third year of really serious gardening, and I'm just shocked at how much food you can produce. <clears throat> That's correct. You know, I, I agree. But, it, you know, if folks are actually thinking about, you know, seriously about storing food more than a, you know, a week or two supply, you know, one of the things, and I don't know, you maybe have hit this, but you need to do it correctly. Yes. Um, you know, food, food does have a perishable, it has an end date. Even things that keep for a long time. Well, there's a couple things like honey that really doesn't have an end date. <laughs> right. But, yeah. but even that can, you know, there are certain insects that will get into it, like uh, ants. Yeah. You do have to protect it from. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, know, knowing how to store... Now, it's not hard, but if it's not done correctly, <clears throat> it's going to be a big disappointment. And oh, yeah. The, you know, the investment will not be good. So that is, that is something to, you know, to keep in mind if you're going to store some food. You know, that's one of the reasons why we talk about it. It's why it's a topic on our show. It's a topic on our website. We post videos quite a bit. Almost every time we ferment or we can or, you know, we'll, we'll post the, the video with the recipe and all those ideas about how to do this right. Uh, because you're right. The last thing you want to do is is put in all the effort, spend the money, and then find out when you go to eat your food, it's no good. Yeah, that's, you know, and, you know, as we've, you know, I've worked through this, you know, we've had several <clears throat> food storage in our, in our business line comes in, in waves. So it never happens. Nobody ever stores food when it's abundant. Uh, sorry, it's just the way it works. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, in, in my, in the 30 years I've been doing this, we had obviously a huge food sur, uh, storage time in, um, in 99. Okay. Oh, um, yep. That would make sense. People think, thinking about, you know, the Y2K thing. Right. Uh, that was the first big one that we had. And then in 06, when the rice crises took place, and then another, a little bit less intense, but another one in 08 when, um, when the real estate market yeah. crashed. Okay. <clears throat> you know, many folks wisely, I think, uh, stashed away from some food. From then until COVID hit, we saw none. It was pretty much <laughs> nobody was storing food. Okay. Yeah, good economy. Yeah, good economy. No one's really thinking about it. The stock market's doing well, all these things, you know. Um, so from like 2010 to 2020, we almost saw no food storage. Wow. It wasn't really happening. Right. In 2020, you know, especially starting around March, it kicked into high gear again because, yeah. uh, you know, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Folks were a little concerned about what was going to happen. You had the toilet paper crises, all those things. Um, <clears throat> but one of the things I've noticed as 
you know, the people who just like, shall I say panic and put, you know, bunches of buckets of weed in their basement. <laughs> most of the time that, that, that goes to waste. Yep. That's not, you know, not, I'm, I'm not saying not to store wheat. Wheat's great. It's, but if you do store wheat, make sure you know how to use it because it doesn't grind itself. <laughs> and if you don't have a grinder, you have to know how to sprout or something, right? Right. This, right. Th- this is very important. Otherwise, it will just yeah. sit in your basement until it, it goes too long. And wheat, you know, it'll keep stored properly. Wheat will keep for decades. Right. Right. But properly, you know, storing yeah. properly is very, um, you know, it's an important part of it. <clears throat> but, but if you store something, make sure that it's something that your family uses. <laughs> Don't. It, don't store something just because it's a good storage item. Exactly. That, that, that makes total sense. You know, one of the things we, we do here, and it all kind of fits together really well, um, you know, we started working on health uh, about eight years ago. And, you know, we started talking about it. We help drivers with it. So food is a big part of that. We, uh, you know, speaking of wheat, we actually promote a totally grain-free diet. Um, Most of our uh, listeners, I I wouldn't say most, but the people who have worked on their health um, have gotten rid of most of the grains out of their life. But one of the things we started working on was just helping drivers have access to better food while they're on the road in the truck, because that was a problem. I mean, if you have to eat out every meal, you are not going to be healthy. You will be sick. There's no way around it. Our food supply, the restaurant food supply is just awful. Um, so, you know, we encourage people to not eat out to control their food supply. Well, that's hard in a truck. You don't really have any freezer space. I mean, a couple people have added freezers that space is at a premium. So, um, so how do you take food with you for weeks at a time without, you know, freezer refrigerator space? So we started working on first fermenting vegetables. Once they're fermented, they're basically shelf stable, um, for, you know, weeks or even months, they'll continue to ferment, but you know, that works really well. Then we started canning meat. And yeah. if you can meat, now it's shelf stable. We can take meat and vegetables. And guess what? This is what we eat every day anyway. I mean, this isn't some weird food that we're just going to stick in the basement and, you know, hope we know what to do when the lights go out. This is the same food we would eat. We teach people how to can a meal. You know, you can can chili, you can can soup, um, you can can meatballs in sauce or whatever. And it's surely tomatoes for you this year. (laughs) Tomatoes, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, in the beginning, talking about doing it right again, we were real sticklers about if you're doing meat or low acid foods, you have to use a pressure canner. I mean, that's what I had learned. Well, it turns out that that's only a United States thing. The rest of the world doesn't really use pressure canners. They haven't for the most part. That's a U.S. thing. 
So how does the rest of the world preserve their food if we have to have pressure canners? And that's what the FDA will tell you. You have to have a pressure canner for these foods. Well, it turns out it's not true. Water bath works fine. You just have to do it longer. The whole point of preserving, right. it, it's, it's a matter of time and temperature. The pressure canner can get to a higher temperature, so you don't have to do it as long. But the water bath canner gets to 212, and as long as you process your food long enough in a water bath, it'll be safe. So, it, and that's fairly new for us. You know, a lot of people were saying, well, we, speaking of supply chain, do you know how hard it's been to get a pressure canner the last couple of years? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're difficult to get. So we, but you know, water bath canners are everywhere and they're cheap and you can use any big pot really with a rack in it. Um, so, you know, we've been helping drivers preserve food that they're going to take on the road, but the food we're preserving is the exact same food we eat every day. We're just making it more convenient. I do, I do it not because I'm going to be on the road for three weeks. I do it because it's really nice to grab you know, a jar of chili or salsa or whatever, barbecue sauce that I made myself. I know what's in it and it's ready. You know, when you can meat, it, it takes, you know, half of your food prep away. It's already cooked. Absolutely. So, oh, yeah, we, uh... I, I just think it's, uh, you know, in the beginning, if we go all the way to, you know, probably should have your own garden and, you know, you should be canning and preserving and fermenting and dehydrating. Yeah, there's some investment there. I mean, you've got some equipment. You've got a, you know, I put an awful lot of money into my garden to get it to the point where it is now. Now it's producing like crazy and my costs have gone down to almost nothing. I'm making my own compost. I'm saving my own seeds. Uh, at this point, you know, for me to go from instead of planting, you know, 30 tomato plants to go to planting 90, um, it was 10 cents a plant. That's my cost. And that's because I bought those seeds this year. If I save the seeds, you know, now that I, I love that tomato, I'm not going to grow anything else. Um, for sauce, that's just an amazing tomato. So once you get through that first couple of years, so what I'm, you know, telling people, timing, we've just had a really, really long economic run, a really good one. Times have been good for a long time. A lot of people have made a lot of money, but I think we're in for a couple of lean years. Um, now would be the time to take some of that money you've made and invest it into uh, becoming a little more, you know, food independent. I just think it's a good idea in so many ways, you know, health, cost, uh, shortages. I think there's just a lot of reasons to be thinking this way right now. Yeah, no, you're... I, I believe you're right. There's no, <clears throat> there's no question. And if you can, um, you know, if you're using it to increase your, your health, whether it's out on the road or in, in your home, there is nothing better than that. Because, you know, this, this whole canning thing, like you're talking about preparing, you know, your meals ahead of time, um, at home, so you're not you're not eating out. Whether you know, even if you're at home, busy busy family doesn't always have time to 
you know, make a full-blown meal every exactly. single time. Right. So if you can open your own jar of chili or whatever yeah. you're yeah. putting on there that you did yourself when you did make chili last time and you made, you know, a big pot instead of a little exactly. one. Exactly. Right. You know, it, it's, it's quick meals on those busy days when things are not uh, not giving you a lot of time. Yeah, and think about again. You know, when you're you're busy, you realize the last minute. Well, we don't really have time to make anything, and think how easy it's become for most people um, to open up their phone and have food delivered now. So there's a lot more of that. So people are eating out more than ever, and now it's even easier to just have somebody show up at your door with food. Uh, but that, that that food's just awful. I mean, we our, our food supply is such a mess. Um, it's it's like I said. There's there's so many reasons to be thinking this way. So um, it's a pretty big theme on our show. You guys, I mean, you fit right into this. That's kind of your life, right? I mean, these are the the things and the it people is. you've dealt with <clears throat> your whole life. It is, and you know, I've uh, you know my my family came from the you know my grandparents came from the old country i.e. ukraine actually oh wow okay and they uh <laughs> they all they everybody preserved their own food nobody thought of not doing that right you know they all knew how to butcher their own animals and my grand you know i was taught that from when i was a kid yeah we you know we did our own butchering we did our own canning we did drying, all that stuff, you know, and truthfully still do it to this day. <laughs> right. Maybe yeah. not at the same, not at the same right. degree that they did. Right. Right. You know, I, you know, we only butcher a, you know, a couple animals instead of, <laughs> <laughs> you know, right. it's like a butchering day. They usually did it like a couple times a year, but when they did it, it was a, always a big B- deal. Big deal. Week and, you yeah. know, like exactly. This, this yeah. whole thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was like, animals or something. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah and, but, um, you know, I, I understand why people got away from this. I mean, I see it now. If I really think about, you know, I said that at this point, you know, just the tomato products I put up, 75 quarts, that, that's a lot of food. But there's also a lot of work there. You know, I talked about the cost in the beginning. You're buying, you know, seed trays and grow lights to get things going early. And I brought in a lot of, uh, you know, soil and soil amendments and you're buying tools. And, you know, there's there's a pretty big output there in the beginning. And, you know, when you, you do this and you, I don't know, even the tomatoes or any product, and then you look at the grocery store and not so much now because prices really are going up on food. You can see it now, but just a year or two ago, food was dirt cheap. I mean, that is one thing we've been able to create is really, really cheap food. And unfortunately, when you look at that, it's almost discouraging. You know, you put all this work in and, and, you know, I know I've got this great product that I grew myself and it's super healthy, but you look at it and you go, yeah, but you know, that 10 pounds of beans that I work so hard to grow, I could buy, you know, 10 cans of beans for $8 or whatever the cost was. And you think, how could I even justify doing all this work? But 
I, I just think there are a lot of good reasons to do it. Um, but like I said, we've really done a hell of a job at creating a really, really cheap food supply. And now we're kind of paying the price. I mean, now we're seeing that food can't always be that cheap. And right now it's not that cheap and people are really struggling with that. Well, it's not sustainable at that cheap. And even the ex- more expensive stuff now that you can get, if unless you know, unless you're looking at organic product that you know where you're getting it from, the quality it, is not going to sustain health. No, you're no. you know the whole um, night ammonia uh, push for growing food. Yeah, the the protein molecule or the the makeup of the amino acids and the proteins. They are not uh, complete, and we will pay the price for that, for eating these um, conventional uh, anhydrous ammonia-grown plants. <laughs> anhydrous ammonia, it just fakes out. You know, of course, you know, I'm now an organic farmer, so <laughs> yeah. this has been a big, it's kind of a big thing for for me. But anhydrous ammonia is, it fakes out the plant, it grows, and it does not, is not able to complete all the protein, you know, chains. Your protein molecules are incomplete, and that is, I believe, a big part of the reason we deal with all these autoimmune diseases I think so. Yeah. Uh, Allergies, autoimmune yeah, autoimmune conditions are just exploding. We've identified over a hundred different autoimmune conditions now. And when you and I were growing up, we had never even heard that word. We didn't, we wouldn't have known what that was. And, and all these diseases, we never heard of them. Where did they all come from? But I think you're right. They came from our poor food supply. That's, yeah, that you know, and of course the whole glyphosate thing didn't uh, yeah. doesn't help yeah. anything either. Yeah. So you add in, you have anhydrous ammonia, incomplete amino acids um, that are really you know, and our body amino acids. That's kind of what our body runs it's, on. It's the building blocks it's, of everything. Yeah, it's very very important to what our bodies are able to do and not do. They're, they're key. And when we don't have that, because nitrogen in and of itself acts, the plant thinks it's a protein, <laughs> thinks it's amino acid. Really? So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. That. Okay. So you can, you can take a crop, you know, I can take wheat again because that's really easy, even though I know you guys don't use it. <laughs> but <laughs> it's if you want to have a higher protein wheat, all you have to do is add more anhydrous ammonia. Okay. The, hmm. t- the total protein will go up. So if you're trying to get an extra high protein wheat on the conventional market, you just throw more nitrogen at it. Uh, and nitrogen's it's cheap. Throw Nitrogen's well, not as well, much as it used yeah, to be. Right, yeah, that's it's true. Yeah, relatively cheap. Yeah, and it throws the protein content up, but that, but total protein is not what our body needs. 
our body needs balance protein. Yeah. That's the very key building. Um, and when we have unbalanced protein, certain amino acids really high, others completely missing. Ugh. Yeah, that bad is news. When our body, it's an autoimmune response to that. Oh, I am now, I can't help, I can't help L-glutamine. I am now a celiac, one of the autoimmune diseases. <laughs> right. And, you know, because we were using the wheat example there. Yeah, no, exactly. It's, it's exactly what happens, which, you know, never happened before. This right. Is, you know, it's a, new, it's a new thing. Who ever heard of a celiac in the 70s? It, yeah, exactly. And human beings <laughs> didn't change in the last hundred years, so something else must have changed. And it really is our food supply. That's, that's the thing. We, you know, you, you mentioned we created a very cheap food supply. Well, it was cheap in more than one way. Yes, you know, people could eat more cheaply as far as from a budget standpoint, but we also got cheap food. Yes. And when you're talking about the, re- the restaurant business, and there are a few exceptions, don't get me wrong, there are a few restaurants and delis that actually use high-quality stuff. But I can name maybe two yeah. within 100 <laughs> <Right>. miles of here. <laughs> right. They're pretty rare. Yeah. <laughs> They're pretty yeah. rare. The profit margin in a restaurant is to have as cheap of food as you possibly can and create a taste profile that people like. Yep. That's your that's the object <laughs> of the exercise. That's where your profit margin comes in. So when you're you're just getting pre-prep meals and a lot of times you're talking about MSG in that takeout food, you're talking about things like that that tried, you know, because they're trying to cover up the bad quality. Yeah, right. And it just right. it, it it goes from one to another, and I'm not, you know, again, there are a few good restaurants that actually do do real food, and even organic food. But that fast that one that's sitting beside the freeway is probably not it. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't and you know, we have some control when you go to the grocery store. You can buy more organic, but even organic at the grocery store probably isn't as clean as most people think. You're still better off at farmer's markets and buying as local as you can. Um, it, we have some control over that as individuals. Um, the other food is really, really cheap. I know that's tempting for a lot of people, but what about like schools? I mean, look at what we do to our kids in school. That may be some of the worst food on the planet. Talk about cheap. Uh, my wife used to work in that food supply system. Um, the, the, um, the tiny, tiny amount of money we spend on each kid's lunch is just sick. And they do it by really feeding them some of the worst food products in our supply chain. And unfortunately that's actually truth. Yeah. Don't, yeah. don't let your kids eat. <laughs> if, if you have kids in school, don't, don't send them a sack lunch guys. Yes. That, um, it's imperative. Uh, it, when you're talking about public schools, yes. I, 
I don't know what it is because they don't seem to mind spending a lot of money on schools. <laughs> right, but not on uh, the food part. But not on the food part. <laughs> and funny thing is, it's kind of that way in hospitals, I, too, of all places. That, I had a note right here in front of me. That was my next point. I was going to say, the ed, and we also know that the medical community itself pays no attention to food quality whatsoever. In their mind, food has nothing to do with anything. Uh, that's the way they act. And you can see it by looking at the food in hospitals. It is horrendous. Oh, I don't. It just blows me away. I just don't understand why, why that is. Oh, you give people an operation and just feed them sugar water. <laughs> exactly. Oh, oh it's now, just that's just awful. Brilliant. Yeah, right. Hey, hey, how do you, where do you, how do you get there? I don't, I don't know. You know? Yeah, I don't know. But the, yeah, the school things, when you're developing children, one of the most important things you can do is feed them a diet that gives a slow release of sugar. Yes. The sugar, the sugar highs and with, you know, with so many kids, in school today, they're on constant a uh, sugar roller coaster. Yeah, yeah. And, and then but, throw in other things like you mentioned, like MSG is what we call an excitotoxin. MSG like exactly. wreaks havoc with your hormonal cycle and energy levels. I mean, you're just all over the board. And then. Things just as simple as food colorings, we have found out that children, developing children, are really sensitive to those things. And the food we feed them, that's all it is. There's almost no real food in there. Unfortunately, that is kind of the direction that it's going. I mean, oh, they want to make it pretty. They want to make it taste good. Food coloring, MSG, right. very, very cheap carbs. And sugars. Yep. And it just, uh, and that exactly, you know, whether it's carb or sugar. It's all the I mean, same. Carb just takes, it takes a few minutes longer. Right. But other than that, it, there's a lot of similarities in the way it acts in the body. Yep. Because, and, you know, with children, it goes up really fast, down really fast because they are, you know, they're active. Yeah. And you're, you begin this cycle of ups and downs. You know, I talked to uh, somebody who was in the addiction recovery industry, or if you want to call it that ministry, I guess they call it more. Right. They were working in addiction recovery. And, um, you know, somebody asked this guy, he says, well, you know, is marijuana the, you know, the, gateway drug for most of these kids <laughs> and the guy says no it's not marijuana it's sugar <laughs> There's a good, you know i i've had that argument several times but that's an improvement on mine i've said look every kid that's going to try marijuana has probably already tried caffeine tobacco and alcohol which are all three drugs so why don't we call those the gateway drugs we don't, though. And now this one, you're right. Sugar may be the biggest offender. Well, that's his 
his theory or, you know, his observation amongst kids, you know, that he's trying to do recovery on. He was doing drug recovery for teenagers and young 20s. They got used to this sugar high crash, sugar high crash, and methamphetamine is just the next step. Yeah. To doing that. Yeah. And of course, alcohol is sugar, it's sugar as well. So, you know, you have, as you mentioned, the alcohol thing. Yeah. But yeah. so many times it goes straight from sugar to something like methamphetamine that's highly you, addictive. You know what, I, what else is really crazy? And most people, in fact, not only do they not know this, they, they think I'm lying when I say this and I'm not. This is the absolute truth. In the 80s, um, and that was when we really started hearing a lot about ADD and ADHD, and in the 80s, the go-to treatment for those kids was methamphetamine. Methamphetamine was not a street drug. It was a pharmaceutical, and we gave it to kids in the 80s for ADD. And we wonder why we have a bunch of addicts today. Not only did their diet mimic that same kind of roller coaster, but we were giving meth to those kids. Legal meth. Huh? Legal meth. Yeah. Pharmaceutical grade meth. <clears throat> yeah. That's why I started homeschooling my kids. Yeah, yeah exactly. I, Good choice. I, yeah. I, you know, it, it was just not, uh, you know, actually it was the very late 80s, early 90s when I started homeschooling my kids. But it it became, um, there was no room for a young, young boy who was actually an active, normal boy. <laughs> right. That wasn't allowed in school anymore. Nope. Nope. We treated and, them like you know, there was something wrong with them. And, and you know, we're, we're, we've still kind of continued that theme um, with males, that whole toxic masculinity thing that everybody's so worried about now. That's what males are supposed to be. You know, I hate to tell people this, but that, that's how the world works, that males have testosterone <laughs> for a reason. Uh, although, I, you know, I just watched this special the other night, and I've talked about this issue many times. Why do males have such low testosterone these days? And again, it comes back to our food <laughs> supply. That's food supply and yep. soy particularly. Exactly. Just yep. We've had that conversation many times. Yeah. Soy increases estrogen levels in the body to a point that it's not healthy for males or females. We should not have that much estrogen, and that's, that's a big problem, and that's kind of the opposite of testosterone. And it seeps through the meats, too. Just yep. So. Yeah, hey, two points I, I want to go back to. Um, we were talking about earlier the nitrogen thing. I... I Figured well. I I saw this in in working by accident. Um, you know that whole idea of growing stuff right in a hay bale. Have you seen that? 
I, I've never done it. But okay. Yeah, I've, yeah so I, I decided to try it because, um, you know, I got into gardening. I want to try all these different things, figure out what works best. So the way you prepare the hay bale is you get a new hay bale and you sprinkle pure nitrogen over it and then you water it and you do that like every other day for about two or three weeks. And what it does is it just speeds up the, the decomposition. So you're basically starting to compost the inside of that hay bale, which is what this process is doing. Then you just, you know, dig a little hole in there. You put in a little bit of dirt to get your seed started. Um, I grew all of my, um, uh, like vine kind of cucumbers, squash, pumpkins, all those. I One year I just grew them all in hay bales. They did fantastic. Best I've ever seen. But I had set the hay bales off to the side out of the garden and I've got like a an empty lot next to me. So I had set them over there because I didn't want the nitrogen in the garden. I knew I was going to get runoff from this. So I set them over in that lot. The grass and weeds around those hay bales took off and grew like crazy. I've never seen anything like it. I'm like, what is going on here? And then I guess it's all that nitrogen, right? Right. So nitrogen is the growth regulator of a plant. Now, nothing else. So what what, uh, artificial nitrogen does, so nitrogen is supposed to come... Through bacteria. Okay. That is the way nature creates nitrogen to be created. Okay. The air is loaded with nitrogen. There's untold uh, abundance of nitrogen in our atmosphere. It's not usable to a plant on purpose because in order for a plant to be healthy, a microbe uh, bacteria has to pre-digest that nitrogen, bring it out of the air, and while it's doing that, it will pre-digest the other nutrients in the soil at the same rate, and you have a balanced soil. Oh. That will give... So then all the nutrients that you need in our bodies are available. There's 72 minerals that we know of that the human body needs to survive, uh, to thrive, I should say, not survive. <clears throat> if, we, if we just throw artificial nitrogen at something, it makes it grow big. That's why the farmers are really <laughs> tempted to do it, because most right. of the time, farmers get paid for math. Exactly. Right. They get paid for math, not for quality. Right. So, okay, it grows really big. Now you have big pumpkins or big grass or whatever it is. But the inside of that, the the minerals and the nutrients that are in that are out of balance and they're lacking. So if you allow the soil, so you create, you know, and this is the whole thing about organic gardening or farming or anything, you're creating an environment that makes the night the soil microbes thrive. If you can so- make the soil ni- microbes thrive. They will create all the nitrogen that your plant can possibly need, as well as everything else in balance, if it's done through the microbes that are in the soil. So I guess this is why I inoculate the peas and beans before I plant them? We're coating them with bacteria, right? right? 
That's exactly right. So beans and peas are in the legume. They're, they're legumes. Legumes are known, and this is part of soil health in a garden, is you mix legumes and grasses. You know, maybe it's by crop rotation. That's what most farmers would do. You plant a legume in this spot this year, and then you plant a grass in that spot next year. Something like corn, for instance. I, you know. Right. Um, uh, any anything in the or uh, well, even things like carrots and beets yeah. and whatever. Right. If they they can go in that spot where that went last year, then. These because uh, legumes actually produce excess nitrogen. Now the it is produced through bacteria, so the bacteria is healthy and is producing it in balance. But because it produces more than what we call free radical uh, bacteria, soil bacteria, nitrogen producing uh, radical bacteria. So there are bacteria that are not attached to the legume. Um, that will also produce nitrogen. Okay. But again, soil bacteria are because, you know, in any healthy plant, and legumes, it's a, it's a slightly different ratio, but in general, about a quarter of your, you know, plant produces sugar. Right. That's what a plant does. That's what micro, you know, the uh, photosynthesis action is sunlight and water turning into energy. Right. Energy in a plant is the sugars, and I'm not talking refined sugar that no. grows blood no, sugar No, it's just it's the right. real stuff, right? Correct, yeah. This is in vegetables, fruits, yeah. right. proteins, all of it. So in a healthy plant, in a, soup, in a very healthy plant, about a quarter of its sugar goes to root development, a quarter goes to plant development, a quarter goes to fruit and about or seed. And about a quarter goes to actually feeding the microbes that are in the soil through the roots. So what happens in a healthy plant, it's a symbiotic relationship. The, the uh, microbes in the soil create the nitrogen, the minerals, and the other things the plants need. And the plant feeds the microbes their energy through, through sugar that goes out of the roots. Okay. It seeps out of the roots. On purpose, this is the way it, right. nature was it's created. That feeds the microbes. It becomes a symbiotic relationship, and you have healthy plants and healthy it, microbes, and that will happen over and over. Legumes are an important part of that. Legumes, actually the bacteria that are on legumes will actually produce more nitrogen than the legume will actually even use. They're called nitrogen nodules. So if you will dig up a legume plant, maybe one of the ones you've inoculated, dig it up when it's in its prime of growing. Dig up the root, and on the root will be little itty-bitty nodules. They look like, you know, they're, they're big enough to see with the naked eye. Okay. But they're little uh, little buttons. They look like little buttons that are just attached to the roots. Those buttons we call those nitrogen nodules. Okay. They are uh, they're basically a colony of bacteria that has a symbiotic relationship with the plant. The plant actually grows a little house. The legume. Okay. Will grow a little house on its tear roots for the microbes to colonize in. 
And so the, the microbes will pull nitrogen out of the air. They will pull the other minerals out of the soil, and they will create this nitrogen nodule. A certain amount of that leaches out and goes right to the roots of the legume. So the legumes actually, it's self-interest. It's getting its additional nutrients. But when that legume dies, those nitrogen nodules are still there. They very seldom use all of them. So that's why if you plant another crop right after that, the legume, and different legumes are more than others. Things like clovers, tremendous amount of nitrogen nodules. Uh, So sweet clover, um, things like that. That's why you use those for cover crops if you can. Yeah, I was was just going to say last year was the first year that I used a cover crop. And I, I bought a blend that was, they said, designed for the Pacific Northwest. It was seven different. There were some legumes, some grasses, some clover. I've never seen anything change the soil so fast. I was just blown away by how much better the soil is. You know, in the spring, I just tilled it lightly, tilled it right back into the surface. And I was just blown away by how much that changed the soil. Right, because you've got... So the, so that's a little trick, you know, from a farmer perspective. You grow uh, a clover or some kind of a legume like that. You, you plant that in. It begins to nodule up, gets all these nodules ready for its own growth spurt that it's going to use. Then you till it in. So not only do you get the, you know, the uh, additional mass from the, from the clover itself that's now being worked back into the soil, but all these nitrogen nodules, they never got used. They're like completely full canisters. And and, uh, the next plant that you plant in that is gonna have all the benefit of all those full canisters of not just nitrogen, but the bacterial growth. The other thing is, when you till that down, it actually, some of those bacteria die. Um, and the decaying bacteria is one of the best fertilizers that the world ever made. Wow. Okay. So now, so, now you have a very positive, um, shall we say, fertilizer of, of nitrogen and bacteria that's decomposing in the soil. It's, uh, it's miraculous that way. It, it really is. You know, here's one of the things that shocked me when I was getting ready to, you know, start the garden. I said, we're on our third year and um, we expanded last year. I bought some property next to me, so I had more room. And I spent a lot of money bringing in a really good garden soil mix. You know, it had all the right stuff. It had some mushroom compost, some manure compost, some, it it had all the right stuff, you know, really good blend, not cheap. I brought in a lot of it and it was just shocking that first year, almost nothing would grow in it. And I'm like, what am I doing wrong? This is amazing soil and, and plants would grow, but they weren't growing much. They weren't producing much. And I just thought, oh, what am, what am I doing wrong? Well, then last year I put the cover crop over it during the winter. That soil is now what grew those tomatoes. And what a difference. Be just one year to the next, that, that soil that I thought was just, you know, really high quality at everything it needed, but it didn't. It did not grow plants well at all. 
it is really tricky to to create soil in a mixer that uh, actually, I mean, no matter what you're putting in there, I mean, obviously peat moss, <laughs> right. mushroom compost, and all those things that you're talking about, it's very, that is not an easy thing. And we've done that. I mean, we do starts every year, when my kids do, really. But, um, and finding a soil mix that actually grows really good um, starts right out of the gate is not easy. Standard stuff you buy at the hardware store is worthless. You're right. I I ended up making my own because I didn't know what else to do. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's hard. It's a science. And even the people who sell it commercially have a really hard time doing that. There's, there's some tricks to it, but it's not easy. And, uh, but it is much easier to grow your soil in the in in the soil to improve your soil yeah. to cover crops. Yeah. Now, if you put some manure on there, if you have a high bacteria content, so your soil is highly bacterial, sure. and then you decide to put some manure on. Manure is a protein source. Obviously, there's a lot of spilled protein from animals. And the bacteria will convert that to nitrogen and the minerals that it that it came from really quickly. Yeah, they'll break it right down, and it'll be usable in just a matter of of weeks. Uh, yeah, I mean, so, it's not like the nitrogen yeah. you'd use. You know, it's not like anhydrous that does right. It overnight. Right, it is. It is really fast. And then liquid so, fish is really fast, too, if you need a fertilizer to just do a quick boost. Yeah. So is this why we use uh, the whole bacteria thing? Is this why we use worm castings? Because when you look at it, they say it's like the greatest thing to put on your plants. But if you look at the the – what am I trying to say? The fertilizing capability of it, it, it there's not much in it. I mean, there's there's none of the three that we look for. There, it's almost non-existent. So, is it just that this is so healthy for the plants because of all the bacteria? Right, because this is the worm castings. It's basically worm manure. the The worm is the soil. Uh, that's what God made to create uh, better health in the soil. So the worm uh, digestive system is loaded with bacteria, and it cr- the worms actually create um, homes, shall we say, for bacteria to colonize. So as the bacteria goes through, because the worms are eating the the soil, well, they they need the actual the organic matter that's within the soil. They're breaking that down. The bacteria in their gut breaks that down. It's a very harsh. If you can imagine your diet being dirt <laughs> right. with a little bit of, you know, root material and yeah. stuff in there for nutrients, yeah. it takes some pretty healthy, strong bacteria f- to break that down so there's enough nutrients for a worm to thrive. Got it. The bacteria then are left in their castings. That those bacteria become the building blocks for the colonization of the bacteria 
in your soil that will break down things like manure Got or okay. um, organic matter that you till back in, i.e. your cover crop or your corn stalks or whatever it is. Yeah, so that was another thing that I started doing this year. And again, I, everything I did really worked. I had great results this year, but I would I have a like a natural plant food that I use um, and I would just take a five gallon bucket and I'd put a quart of the plant food in there and a couple handfuls of worm castings and it would bubble and you know get all smelly and spray it all over the plants in the ground and it worked amazing yeah was it a is it a fish based product uh, I've used I've used both um, the, the one that I use is I actually love the name of this product it was what a Cool idea. You know the books that were so popular for a long time, still around, Chicken Soup for the uh, Soul? Okay, yeah. So uh, this guy, Dr. Jims, runs a big gardening site, but uh, his plant food, he calls it Chicken Soup for the Soil. I thought, okay. that, was, I thought that was just very clever. But the stuff's amazing. I mean, and that, I just use that. I put that into the, to the worm casting tea. I think that kind of feeds everything. Okay. Yeah. I yeah, I don't I don't know what that is, you know, from a um look what it what it actually is. But uh basically yes, what you're what you're trying to do is feed the bacteria Get a bacteria flush, and if you need quick, if you, if your plants aren't doing real well and you need a quick fix, um, that is uh, one way to do it. If you can push the bacteria really fast, and then, so when you're doing something like that, um, it makes the it makes the bacteria grow real fast, and then it dies back quick, and then you get a big plant flush with the with the bacteria, okay. the dead bacteria. Got it. And that's that, and that usually takes about a two week cycle. So if you if you want to really push your plants throughout the season, doing that multiple times. Uh, about every two weeks, actually. That's the we'll schedule I was on. In a, in yeah. A very, yeah. It'll, it'll keep them in a very um, vibrant state of health. Um, you know, again, it's a little bit of a shortcut, but it's, it works. You know and what it's I. doing it through bacteria, so it's healthy for the plant. Yeah, it, the other thing that I've found is is the more of this I do, the less I seem to be dealing with all the other problems, like, you know, the powdery mildews and, you know, bugs and insects. I, I just seem to have a lot less of all of those problems. Well, that's, uh, that's a whole science of its own, but that's absolutely correct. The. Uh, the healthier your your plant, the more balanced your soil microbes and all that, the less disease and insect pressure you're going to get. And, you know, I've done this as an experiment. I mean, obviously, we're commercial organic farmers. But on a as an experiment, 
we've we've gone down and put um, planted a row of plants and just stress a few on purpose by like cutting the roots or something like that. Right. And the ones that you stress will absolutely just load up with um, with aphids or white fly or whatever's uh, in your um, cabbage worms. <laughs> That's yeah, whatever it is. Yeah, carrot worms, cabbage worms, any of those things. Um. That's uh, you know that's what you're dealing with. It's interesting that you say that because now I'm thinking um, I do grow a lot of cabbage. I love making kimchi and sauerkraut, so I grow three or four different kinds of cabbage. Um, and the cabbage moth, those damn white moths flying around the garden, those are probably the biggest problem I have. I actually bring in these tiny little wasps. I get. The, the eggs come on a card, and I just hang the card out there, and these wasps hatch, and I guess they go after the larvae. They work. Um, and like I said, I don't have as much problem now as I used to, but what you just said, I was trying to figure out because it seems like every year, and I'll plant cabbages in different places, it almost always seems like there's one plant that gets the worst damage, and I just can't seem to stop it on that one plant. All the other plants are doing fine, no damage whatsoever, but there's always seems to be one cabbage plant that just gets destroyed. Yeah, so they'll go to the weakest one. So, okay. uh, basically a plant, I guess, to sim- try to simplify it, when a plant becomes stressed, uh, plants and insects communicate through frequencies, not through you know, obviously verbal communication or something, they're putting out a frequency. So if a plant becomes stressed, this is just a nature thing. It puts out a frequency, I am food. Ah, an insect. okay. And the insect, and you know, I think it's part of the survival of the fittest thing, the insects then come in and they attack the plant that's putting out that frequency that I am food. They destroy that plant because that one probably shouldn't, uh, that, you know, be that, producing seed because it's, it's not a good, you know, it's not that, a healthy plant. That makes total sense now. And I was always shocked because yeah. right next to it, a foot away on three sides, all around this one plant are totally healthy plants with no bugs and no damage on them. Yeah, that's right. So, um, so I just looked up your uh, your chicken soup thing just to see yeah. what it is. Okay. So it's a pro- It's alfalfa as a protein with molasses. As a sugar. And then it's got a few okay. mineral a few minerals in it. So what you're doing is you're shortcutting. So what I described to you with the plant uh, sending sugars out into the soil uh, to feed the microbes, what it's doing is shortcutting that. So you, you have a protein source, that's your alfalfa meal, soaked in molasses, sugar source. You're taking, so it's artificially, not artificially in the sense of, in a bad way. Right, right. But it's taking, it's synthesizing what those roots do in the plant. Okay. So the roots, it's a protein, high protein source, soaked in sugars that the plant is, is sending out of its roots. So you're 
it, you're introducing this into the soil, alfalfa meal, with cane molasses. Um, along with, they have a little seaweed in there. That's part, that's your microbe source. Okay. They have a little whey, which is another sugar source, and some rock phosphate, which is a mineral source. You're mixing that together, so you're you're introducing some microbes through your seaweed, and um, and you're giving it a protein, i.e., dead dead plant material, alfalfa meal, okay. soaked in cane molasses, a sugar source with some rock phosphate, so you have some uh, a mineral source for those to be able to create. Uh, the mineral break down the minerals that you need, so that's exactly what that is. It's just he, whoever uh, Dr. Jims or whoever uh, created this, just synthesized what should be going on in a healthy soil environment in nature anyway. Okay, got it. And that's that's exactly exactly what he's doing. Uh, nothing wrong with that. Right. I, you know, right. I'm. It's you know, I, I probably wouldn't use it on, you know, an organic farming situation, you would do that a little bit differently. But we have used molasses before. Um, I've, I've used that to jumpstart soil that, you know, needs, is a little dead. Got it. Doesn't, okay. doesn't have the microbe content that's needed. Right. Um, it's a, you fake it out by putting a little molasses on there or a little bit of cane sugar soaked in water yeah, or whatever yeah. and it'll it'll jump start the the soil microbes and that's exactly what this material is uh, designed to do got it nothing you know uh, i i nothing bad to say about it it's, yeah it's good yeah. but that's the way that that works well and you know that makes sense i when i started using it like i said i had this new soil we had brought in all this dirt and it wasn't developed yet probably didn't have the good microbe content so probably why it was helping so much what it sounds like if i'm hearing you right at some point maybe even now i may not need that anymore yeah one if you're rotating your crops properly and I am, you have and using a cover crop and, you know yeah and using the cover crop and all that you probably won't won't need that long term but that takes soil that the microbe content is low and you're basically just creating a super environment for microbes to grow literally fast. You know, kind of and like we ferment vegetables so we get big microbe content for ourselves. Exactly. It's amazing how close the, yeah. the human digestive system and the soil digestive system is. The, in fact, some of the microbes are even similar. Yeah, the, interesting. The microbe names and stuff that, that happen in the soil and in the human gut are very similar. It's amazingly yeah. similar. You know, one of our right. supplements we sell in our store is, you know, we, we recommend probiotics. We recommend getting it from your food first. Ferment your foods, make yogurt, you know, get the probiotics from your food when possible. But if we need to supplement... We can, one of the, we actually sell two different types of probiotics, and one of them is a soil-based probiotic. I mean, that's where they get the bacteria from is the soil. There you go. You know, they, there's a theory, and I don't know exactly how 
you know, I, I haven't actually seen the research on it, but the theory is, is that kids in a healthy environment, little babies, like when they're just crawling and stuff. Yeah. So you get them out in the, out in the dirt, <laughs> they're going to put every kind of piece of dirt into their mouth. Yep. And that is actually uh, introducing the bacteria that they need for their life. Yeah. And if you take that away from a kid, they're going to have more digestive problems later and, in life and, than and, they would if they lived out, you know, if you let them eat the dirt in the garden once in a while. Yeah, and not only have we stopped them from eating the dirt, but we've also hyper-sanitized everything. We've made everything antibacterial now. Soaps and wipes and everything's antibacterial. So not only are we not letting the kids eat it like we used to and they should, we're over-sanitizing everything. Well, then we wonder how come the probiotics that are in the gut of the next generation are not as strong as right. the previous generation. Yep. And I, you know, like I say, I really haven't seen any total, total, um, it'd be a hard experiment, I guess, to really back up, but it, it makes sense. And yeah. it does, uh, you know, if you just look at kids that grew up, you know, sitting out in the garden when they were nine <laughs> right. months old. Yep. Uh, you know, shoving shoving dirt and you know whatever else they can find into their mouth. Right. And the kids that were kept in a super sanitized place. Yeah. Look at the health difference, and I I think it's it's something that you can actually see. Absolutely. Yeah, I believe that. There's no doubt. Uh, David, I could talk with you about this stuff forever because this is kind of a new hobby of mine, and I'm loving it. And this is you know this is what you live so. I appreciate you taking the time. Let's um, let's shift gears before we wrap this up. Um, how is your driver situation? Are you hiring? Or uh, it seems like you know everybody yeah. is still in trucking. Yes, so let's talk about that a bit. We're, we're we're still growing. We're still hiring. We still definitely need a need a few more uh, drivers that would love to. You know that uh, would like to have a little bit different lifestyle. Yeah, um, we're delivering directly to um, to consumers, uh, food buying clubs all over the country. So you get, you know, it's uh, relating with a lot of great people, some of the best people on earth. I like, you know, I yeah. like to think and yeah. I believe. Um, and then, uh, and you're, you know, getting out of the truck. To deliver more that. active, right? Much more active, multiple more, stop. Okay. Yeah. So, you know this. This is this is kind of how I got my start in driving multiple stops in more of a local area and home every night. And one of the things that you just mentioned, and it it really happens a lot in your environment, the places you're delivering to. These are like small, you know, natural grocers. Might actually be somebody's house that is a drop point. Um, you really get to know these people. I mean, you're you're doing the same kind of route every day, and these people are into the food. Uh, and we we do some we do some are not necessarily the same driver on the same route all the time. Um, some of them you're doing it over and over and over again, but they're all the same kind of people. Whether it's, exactly it's, right, know, whether you're delivering right. to the to the same ones or not, 
has it does. There is there's always a relationship there with the driver. Yeah. There's like, hey. Um, it's <laughs> it is a lot of fun. Um, you know, drivers get to know the customers of the drop we call them the drop point coordinators typically. Okay. And they're all over the place. I mean, sometimes we're delivering to people's homes, sometimes yeah. they're meeting at a yeah. parking lot. Sometimes they're meeting beside the beside the road. Sometimes we're in the small stores. Sometimes we're delivering to an unrelated store. For instance, a feed store um, allows the drop point to use a back room. Oh yeah, um, yeah. All, grange halls, churches, a lot of churches. Okay. Uh, Good. Yeah. Yeah. The, one of my pickup points, that's the other nice thing about this. You have multiple options where you can pick up. Once a month, I can pick up right down the street from me uh, at a neighbor's house because she has a delivery once a month. Um, most of the other weeks, I go just down the street to Hood River, and it's a little, um, you know, natural food store and cafe, which is kind of nice because when I'm picking up my order, I can go in there and they have really great products as well. So it's just uh, the the whole environment, you know, it's like a, it's kind of like a different world. We like to think so. And I, I feel like it is, it is a little bit, as far as the customers that, that Azure attracts, um, they, they're great people that are really, especially the drop point coordinators, because they're volunteering their time. Yeah. They believe in it. Absolutely. They, they have to be willing to believe in it enough that they do it as a community service. They're not paid employees of Azure. They're right. volunteers. Right. Yeah, they, it's a great system. Um, I, mean, I love it. They're, you know, so for the most part, they're believers. And they're willing to help out their neighborhood. Right. So it makes for great folks. Yeah, really does. So... Kind of give us an idea of, you know, some of the different um, driving opportunities you have. Like, what would somebody's day or week look like? Um, so we, we have two, um, two things that we're trying to, to get right now. One is uh, the delivery driver. So we, we have at least, uh, we're at least one or two short there still. And those uh, would go out. Uh, one of them's a continuous route. So we we have east of the Rockies, we have a route that you kind of, the drivers just stay in the route and we just refill the truck as we go. Okay. We can't, we haven't really set up hubs back there. It's uh, almost impossible to do, at least right now. So what we do is the driver stays on the road however long that they, they want. Um, you know, some almost continuous, some it's like three on, two off, whatever, whatever works. Yeah. Um, between us and the driver. And then they go out and, um, you know, so you might start, you know, in say Denver and then you go from Denver and down and deliver in, you know, all through Colorado and back up and maybe you end up in Arizona. Okay. The next, the next route, and then, then maybe from Arizona, you may deliver there for a couple of weeks, and be refilled. Then you end up in Texas, and then maybe in Mississippi, and maybe in, you know, 
Louisiana. Yeah. Um, and then the truck keeps getting refilled uh, through what we call shuttles. So that's when a trucker just takes the load, sends it out there, and then we trans the the drivers, the two drivers, transfer that using their electric pallet jacks that we have on all the trucks, and transfer it over into the other truck from because the delivery trailers are set up differently than yeah. the over the road trailers. Right. So then they transfer it from the over-the-road trailer into the delivery trailer, and then the delivery driver is ready to keep going from wherever he's at. There you go. Okay. And then the shuttle driver, then we can either we refill that with a backhaul, or sometimes we just use common carriers, and we don't refill them, depending on where they're going. Okay. So so that's kind of – so then when you get – when you refill this load of – of product, it may be that load, and then sometimes in the more dense areas, it may be two or three loads in a week. Got it. Okay. In the less populated areas, it may just be one load in a week that you that you end up delivering. So then you go and you start making the deliveries to the individual customers. Got it. Okay. And you know that, like we said, that'll be you know the Grange Hall, the store, the church, the. Yeah house, yeah. what, whatever it is, wherever it's sent. The people tend to meet. We put that there is a schedule that it's on. So as long as you're relatively close to that schedule, and if for some reason it gets off, we have to communicate that. Right. Right. Um, as long as we stay on that, a lot of times, a lot of the customers will be there and meet the truck because they want, because we do a lot of frozen and they want to, you know, make sure that their frozen doesn't sit anywhere very long. Yeah. And so a lot, sometimes there'll be, you know, dozens of people that'll, that'll meet, that'll be there waiting for the truck to show up. Most of the time, the driver just has to tr- throw the stuff, you know, take the pallet to the back of the truck and set it on the tailgate. And the customers are grabbing it right. from the tailgate as fast, yep. he, as fast as he could set it down. Yeah. A few of the small stores and stuff, you have to run it, you know, run it into the store. Either with a you know hand truck or a yeah. pallet jack or whatever, depending on you know the situation. Um, some of the you know most of the heavy um, wholesale areas we have the lift gates, where we have mostly buying clubs, which is further back east. Okay. Um, we don't even run we don't even run um, lift gates, they because they never really get used and it just adds weight. Yeah. Got it. So these are, um, so these are just uh, the the customers are grabbing it almost you know ninety percent of the time the customers are there right grabbing right. the product and uh, you know so then you uh, you're do that one then you're off off to the next one and and so it goes and as you're you know as you're delivering there's you know, there's the relationship with the people, and in the meantime, you're you know you're hand unloading the truck, yeah. you're running it, yep. you know, typically running the pallet to the back with the pallet jack, and then you know setting it down, and you know making sure that it's all for the right drop. We have on every label we have not only the name of the drop, but we have a a, a shape or a symbol on there. It'll be like you know an anchor, an airplane, or something, so it differentiates one drop from another so it's real easy to see. Got Sometimes it. yeah. there's not perfect light and things like that. So it's 
pretty easy to see the difference between these shades. It, it, you know what so, I, I really like about this? And I can tell you, if I were looking for a driving job, I, you and I would be talking. This would be ideal for me. I would love this job for so many reasons. One of them, though, um, and the drivers listening to me understand this, there are places in trucking that we all hate. Um, big grocery warehouses, um, distribution centers, you've got appointments. If you're late, you're screwed. If you're, you know, if they're late, you, you just have to deal with it. You know, they have a hundred doors and you've got to wait around and you've got to break pallets down. And I mean, we hate those places. This avoids all of that. You don't do any of that stuff in, in this job, which I just love. Now, you may, I, I'm sure you do some stuff where you're going to maybe warehouses or vendors and picking some things up, but that's not typically what you're doing in this job. You're staying away from all that the, stuff. The, the, deliv- the delivery drivers don't typically do that at all. Okay. Now, a few of them we may, we may backhaul, but we also have a need for more shuttle drivers. Now, the shuttle drivers, they're the ones that go out and meet these guys okay. on the road and right. refill the truck. Got it. Typically, we do have those backhaul. So, you know, you may be stopping at a warehouse somewhere close to wherever you unloaded to refill. Yeah. Hopefully, it's not one of those grocery warehouses. We typically try to deal a little bit more farm direct and stuff and not one of those places you described. But some of them, you know, hey, warehouses are warehouses. Right, right. But... even yeah, so, I did that for a while when when Aldi's, the grocery store chain, first came to the U.S. back in the '80s. Um, I actually contracted a truck to them, so we would deliver to their stores. And you might have a frozen load, you might have a refrigerated load, you might have a dry load. Um, but then we, uh, our backhauls would be from the vendors that supplied them. Like we might go get a bread load um, and bring it back to the warehouse. Yeah. So. But that was it, it. That was never a problem. The grocery warehouses are always a problem when you're delivering to them. Picking up from these producers yep. is not bad at all. I mean, I, I that was one of my favorite jobs. I loved that, and that was similar to this. We were doing all stores, uh, but it, it was kind of similar. And you know, we would pick up a backhaul like that, maybe a truckload of something, and take it back with us. But um, that was just never a problem. It wasn't like delivering to those places. Yeah, no, you know, it, mostly it is. It's mostly really nice, and a lot of times it's at farms and stuff. I can't say occasionally one of them Southern California warehouses that you can pick up <laughs> doesn't, uh, you know, doesn't cause a few issues, right? Yeah, and, uh, yeah, it doesn't yeah. try to try to run one of those yeah. uh, time things on you. But yeah. you know, for for the most part, these are farms. They're great people. They're manufacturing how you know plate manufacturers. It's direct. Sometimes we do multi-pick backhauls. Sometimes it's single pick, you know, for the shuttle drivers. Right. And some of that right. depends on where right. they're at and also how much time they have to get back. You know, if you're running, yeah. a, right. you know, if you're running a load to Arizona, fairly close, and you, there's more time, we may do a multi-back pit, you know, backhaul in, you know, Arizona and, you know, getting the dates and stuff and maybe filling up in, you know, East LA, San Bernardino or someplace. But, um, you know, if you're going 
further away, if you're going to Minnesota or something, it may be a single backhaul. Right. Because there's not as much time to to make the round trip. Got it. So, you know, that's you know, that's part of uh you know, part of what we do with the with the logistics as far as the yeah. the shuttle but drivers. You've, you've so got... the shuttle shuttle driver Go ahead. Shuttle driver is a great gig as well. And especially if you are not really up to hand unloading two or three trucks every week. Right. You don't, you know, you're, everything's being done with a pallet jack or, you know, we have these little electric exist pallet jacks that we run in the trucks. Yeah. yeah. And so you're not, yeah. you're not having to do all the handwork that it. the delivery driver does. But, you know, the downside is you don't meet all the cool people either. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. <laughs> At least yeah. not as many. You right. might meet, you know, you might go to one drop where you're doing the transload. Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise. Well, yeah. excellent. I know the uh, last time we had John and we talked about this uh, a couple weeks later, I got some feedback from people who are now working for you and absolutely love it. So um, how if yeah. somebody's interested, how do they find you? What's the next step? Okay, so since we talked last, I actually have a, I don't have to give you James' cell phone number now. I can actually give you a, we set up, we set up a number for drivers. Oh, good, good. Um, it'll be uh, 971-200-8327. Okay. 971, have, let me know, get that out again. 971-200-8327, correct? That's right. Okay. And real and quick, uh, I know Angie's listening. Lisa probably is too. If we don't have that number posted up on the website, let's make sure we get it up there uh, on truckingtribe.com and healthytribe.com. We'll put it up on both. Let people know. And then we have an email as well that we set up for this. It's Drive for Azure, so it's drive with the letter with the number four, Azure A Z U R E at AzureStandard.com. Got it. We'll put that up there as well, um, and we'll uh, we'll get your phones to ring, and we'll get some people to come over there and work. What a great uh, great opportunity! Well, that'll that'll be awesome, and we can uh, we can serve healthier food to the nation together. That's right. That's right. And then I'll get you back on here so I can pick your brain about gardening some more. <laughs> well, I love to talk about organic farming. That's yeah. kind of still where my heart's at, even though I uh, end up doing a lot more uh, business stuff than farming I know. anymore. But I know. Yeah. My, uh, we still do it. My kids are doing it. My family, my brother, they're, uh, we do it on a daily basis. Yeah. Like I said, it's my, my favorite hobby now. I can't believe how much I really enjoy it. Um, but like I say, right now, I'm just shocked. We're in the middle of October almost, and I can't believe how much I still have going on in the garden. I just finished the tomatoes. I've got um, 75 pepper plants this year, all kinds of different peppers, some habaneros, some jalapenos, uh, some sweet hots, and I am just blown away by how much each plant is producing. 
I'm not sure. Again, I know the soil gets healthier every year. I did bring in um, solitary bees this year, mason bees and leaf cutters for pollinating. Okay. Um, I used a trace mineral from that same Dr. Jim's. He has a product called Pepper Popper. And it's really, he says if, if a okay. pepper plant looks healthy, but it isn't putting out a lot of peppers, he says it's almost always just because it's missing a trace mineral or two. So I'm, I'm not sure, you know, I, I've got much better soil. I've got the new pollinators in. Um, I am using that trace mineral, but these, these pepper plants are almost falling over. They have so many peppers on them. That is, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. yeah so uh, that's the next big job probably coming up this weekend. They're, they're just, the jalapenos are just starting to turn red. So I think I've got another week or so. Uh, and then I'll be harvesting all that. I make all kinds of different hot sauces and so fermented hot sauces. So I'm looking forward to that. And then the other well, thing I still have left, and I'm, I'm a little nervous, um, sweet potatoes. I didn't realize how hard sweet potatoes are to grow. But I have a beautiful patch. I planted like 50 sweet potato slips. The plants look absolutely amazing. But I know sometimes you can pull them up and just have no potatoes. Well, I don't, you know, you're at much lower elevation than we are. But we can't, we don't, I mean, nine years out of ten, we can't actually grow sweet potatoes in the, in the soil, outdoors. Right. So right. we usually grow sweet potatoes in a hoop house. Okay. And what, when we put them in a hoop house, they do really well. In fact, this year we've got some of them that probably weigh eight to ten pounds. Wow. <laughs> some of those sweet potatoes. <laughs> wow. That's <laughs> My awesome. My son's got a bunch of them curing right now in our uh, in one of our outbuildings because you know to to do it right, you have to cure them in right. kind of a warm, humid right uh, thing. But yeah, for some reason, our season is just, and I don't think it's actually the number of days. I think it's just a little too cool in the it, spring. It, it you, you need a lot of days. They're, most of them are like 110 to 120 days. And I didn't realize they're tropical plants. Yeah, they are. They're yeah. subtropical to tropical. Yeah. yeah, so they need lots of heat for long periods of time. And you're right, we had a cool... Now, I am a little encouraged. I've just, you know, did a little digging down around the roots. I've got some potatoes there. I mean, there's something there. Nice. So, yeah, so we'll see. Yeah, uh, no, the... they, they're probably, you know, the, you may have them. You're, you know, you're enough lower elevation. You have more heat units than we get. But just by doing a hoop house, completely unheated hoop house, you it completely changes that and you're we can grow those things very effectively. Well, there, there you go. I know what I'm doing for spring this year. I'm gonna have some hoop houses <laughs> ready to go. I like that. All right. But anyway. Excellent. All right. Okay. Um David, we're going to cut you loose. I certainly appreciate it again. We'll get you back here soon, and uh, let's get some phones ringing. Let's get that number out there again. So if you're interested, if you want to find out more, um, talk to them about some of their opportunities. Here's the number. Grab something to write with. Hit record. Whatever. 971-200-8327. Give them a call. Great opportunity. Like I said, if I were looking for a driving job, I, I'd be over there in a heartbeat. I'm sure I would love that job.
All right. All right. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Great having you. We'll talk to you again soon. And with that, we're just going to bring Lauren in. Lauren, welcome. Uh Uh-oh. What just happened? Huh. I lost Lauren. Not sure what happened there. Um, looks like we've also got some calls coming in. We're, we're still hanging out here. If you have health-related questions, now is the time to jump in. I know we were talking a lot about farming there, uh, gardening. Um, that's a little selfish on my part. Uh, it's not often I get to spend that much time with somebody who knows so much about organic gardening. You know, it's like spending time with uh, Joel Salatin. And um, so I know we, we spent a lot of time on the gardening there, but I, I really want to encourage more people, whether it's gardening, um, which I think is a great way to start all this, but becoming more independent around your own food supply. There are so many advantages to this. Even if you never garden, even if you buy and prepare um, and and uh, preserve your own food, that is a huge advantage. You know, buy better quality, learn how to prepare your own, preserve your own. Uh, I just think it's um, it's one of the uh, one of the best things you could be doing right now. Heading into uh, kind of the unknown and what we're dealing with right now, um, I, I can't think of anything better. Really, so many advantages to it. All right, we're going to grab some calls. Uh, we're going to head to Nebraska. Dave, welcome to the program. Was that me, Kevin? It is. Go ahead. Oh, sorry, buddy. Uh, hey, I just listened to that guy. I didn't catch the first of it. Um, it's really interesting that he's, he's talking the way his bacteria and soil and everything is really interesting. And I've been doing that for about 30 years off and on. And I've been wanting to talk to you about that. Oh, good. Kind of half privately in a way, but, but, uh, I found a very good product. I'm not going to mention it right now to you. Like I said, I'll do that maybe in an email to you, but, uh, there's such a, a huge deal about bacteria that people don't understand and farmers, especially agribusiness, if we didn't have any kind of bacteria or even some things would not happen exactly like the way that guy was talking about. It's, it's called a carbon nitrogen cycle that helps build a, the organic matter. Organic matter holds 35% moisture per every 1% that you have in the soil. So if you're putting on 200 pounds of uh, fertilizer and you've got a half a percent of organic matter, if you do the math in there, way, way, way over applying that makes sense to you yeah yeah no it really does and and uh, you know this whole soil thing like you said you've been doing it for decades this is all new to me uh but i just find it fascinating it is when you compare soil from you know our our chemical farming of today our monocropping and when you compare that soil to truly you know regenerative soil like what we're talking about here it's two totally different worlds it absolutely is these some of the guys kevin they've, they've passed on because they were so old but uh, when i was a lot younger i had some guys always tell me that their dads and their grandpas would get uh, that take a few cuttings of their alfalfa, for instance, like the, the guy was talking about legumes. 
and say in August, in, instead of cutting it, they would plow it under and yeah. all that would ferment and rot. And it would next year, it would just be, the soil would be just so soft and yeah, wonderful, you know, right today, today it, it's, it's, it's all you got to do. Like I said, I'm a soil builder. I'm not a salesman of any kind. <laughs> I mean, you've talked to me before. I'm actually in the trucking business as well. Yeah. So it's just, uh, I had an, an old timer tell me, uh, he was my neighbor actually. And he got me into this about in the mid nineties. And my God, he, we could take a, a rod, like a half inch in diameter rod and go out in his garden. And I swear to God, we could push it in the ground with one hand, six feet deep in about <laughs> 10 seconds. Yeah. That's, uh, it, it, it's I, just, it just to make it, it's, excuse me, Kevin, it's no, so no. exciting to me. I got a real passion for it. Yeah. yeah <laughs> um, I, I'm, I'm developing he, that passion. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, I'll help you along. I'll, I'll, Good. Uh, like I said, I've forgotten a lot, but I'll do everything <laughs> I can. But remember this, uh, no man, can make uh, soil retain water unless there's no oxygen. And think of a building site. You know, you take clay and you pack it. All you're doing is getting the, the air out of that. Right. You inject air or bacteria in aerobic bacteria, and water will never stand anywhere. It's, it's, I mean, that sounds pretty flamboyant no you're you're right <laughs> but it's the truth it, yeah it it um, i'm shocked at the difference in soil and david said something that kind of stuck with me in and i have an, a perfect example of it so when i first started gardening um i took up some grass out of the back i took out lawn for part of the garden and when that lawn was put in they put in some decent topsoil you know, nothing major, not like, you know, really high quality garden soil or anything, but it was decent topsoil. So it, things grew okay there. I had another part of the garden that was just the native soil where we are here, and it is horrible. I, it's that, you know, light tan color, and it's all <laughs> rocks, and nothing would grow in that stuff. And then the new part of the garden where I bought the lot, like I said, I brought in, I don't remember, it's like 20 yards. I brought in a lot of really good I garden soil. I remember you talking about that. Yeah. Um, I brought in a lot of really good <laughs> garden soil. Right now, today, the absolute best dirt that I have, soil, this isn't dirt anymore, it's soil now. The absolute best soil that I have <laughs> is that old, nasty, you know, native soil that I've just been working on. And I worked on it hard because it That's was so right. bad. I didn't add any soil to that. I just amended it. You know, I, I planted mm -hmm. the cover crops. And yep. every time I, I've gotten into a habit, peas are so cheap and easy because, you know, I grow so many peas and then you just collect the peas as the seeds and they're easy to plant. I got to the point where every time I pull up a plant, I just stick a couple peas in the ground. If they grow and mm -hmm. they produce peas, great. If they don't, <laughs> so what? I just let them die. Yeah, and, you're doing the right thing. Yeah, so, you know, you walk around my garden right now, and it looks kind of funny because there's, like, patches of peas all over the place. There's, you know, two or three plants over yeah. here. And then once, you know, I'm totally done in the garden, which I, it's still probably going to be two or three weeks at least, um, and then I have some stuff I'm overwintering. I put in a ton of garlic and onions and carrots and beets that I'm going to leave in over mm -hmm. winter. 
Um, but everything else, every other piece of dirt will get that, that seven seed cover crop because it, it's just incredible yeah. what that does to the soil. It really does. And, uh, you know, lawns are really a good example. And the old timer always said, now just remember that lawn didn't get bad in two or three years or one season. It's been 30 or 40 years. So don't go out and tell people that, oh, you're going to pr- prove mi- miracles on this stuff. Yeah, right. It's going to take three or four years to right. do it. And just what you just said, it's, it's really true. It's just so much fun. I tried to prove this guy wrong on everything and couldn't do it. I never did. And, you know, a leaf or excuse me, a plant feeds 95% through the leaves. He had a, we had a foliar spray yes, and a legume actually is 98%. And, and so Kevin, when you balance the soil, when I were talking back to that carbon nitrogen so, uh, system, that doggone stuff will produce its own uh, nitrogen through the air. I know that's really a way out there, but it'll take it through the leaves and there's a manufacturing plant down there called the plant (laughs) and the root system. And and it starts separating everything, you know, like, uh, acid over here, which acid is good, by the way, you know, uh, in the soil, we use a lot of humic acid, by the way, uh, derivative of coal. Yeah. And we mix bacteria that we've got an excellent bacteria. That's what I'll talk about later with you privately, but, um, it's so much fun to watch this stuff go. Because here's what I tell people, you know, they, they kind of scoff at me or whatever. And I just say, well, I'll tell you what, mother nature's never wrong. I help mother nature and I walk out of the way. That's and then right. you tell me in a year or two if I was wrong or not. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's, I, I don't want to take up too much. Go ahead. Yeah. I was just going to say that I, I, I find that if I spend my time, the, the work that I do in the garden, if I spend my time focusing on the soil, everything else takes care of itself. I don't have to spend much time on my plants. I spend a little bit of time fighting the cabbage worms and the cabbage moss on the brassicas, but that's about it. I don't have a single insect that goes after my tomato plants. Nothing touches them. I don't have to do anything. I don't put anything on them. I don't do anything to stop bug. I just don't have any on my pepper plants. No bugs whatsoever. None. I don't do anything. (laughs) <laughs> if you would go out and get yourself a refractometer that it measures the, the bricks levels of a plant. In other words, the sugar, the sap in it. Right. And anything over six, anything over six on that thing will repel biting insects. Really? So if you have a healthy plant, yes. Oh. If you have a healthy plant, uh, so it sounds to me like your cabbages or whatever, there might not be quite uh, flowing enough uh uh, healthy juice, so to speak. Uh, you might want to try putting some molasses type stuff. Uh, uh, that's got a lot of carbon in it as well as, as sugar, you know? So it's really fun to watch that bricks level go up. We do that a lot in corn plants. Right. And that's where people really laugh at me, but we can keep corn borers out of plants and, and everything. It's a brick, as long as the bricks level is over Interesting. 6%. Okay. Yeah, yeah but uh, I I I got to let other people talk. I'm sure if you got some, so I <laughs> I just wanted to get in. I really appreciate your time and been listening to you for many many years. And this really this soil thing is so fun, and you and I will be talking a lot about it. Well, thank you. I love that. I appreciate it. So we will yeah. uh, we will talk to you again soon. I'll look forward to it. All right. Um, I'm not sure what happened with Lauren. Let me go see. Um, 
She was here and then she was gone. And I, I guess she had a question for David. I didn't see that. Um, maybe that's why uh, she's not there anymore. So I think what I'm going to do is, I think I'm going to wrap this up. Uh, we're right up at the two-hour mark. Uh, we don't have any calls or questions, so I think we'll call it a day. I know it was a big gardening day. I get that, but uh, we have a lot of interest. I get a lot of questions about gardening, so we, we decided to do that today. But also, um, really think about as you're for a, a driving job. If you're in the market for a job, um, Give them a call. I, like I said, I would absolutely love that job. It's very similar to what I did my first couple of years of driving, which I loved. Um, I, I like being more active. I like multiple stops. I like um, hand loading and unloading in the right situations. Like I said, I don't want to go to a grocery warehouse and stand there for hours restacking pallets. But I don't. I would not mind at all going to these co-ops and these local health food stores and, you know, unloading places like that. I actually enjoy that kind of stuff. And the activity is good for you. There's a, a, you know, it gets you around and in this environment too, this, this natural health world. Um, you'll be in it every day. And the people you meet and the products you find and um, just a great opportunity. And that's, that's why we've partnered with them. Um, one, they're local. I, I love the fact that they're a local farm that started right here, um, not far from where I live, and uh, just great people. So we're excited about it. So if you are thinking about it, give them a call. All right. Uh, we're not doing after hours today. We are going to do a recorded podcast with uh, Danielle, my one-on-one uh, so that will probably get posted later today or tomorrow. So we're going to wrap this up. We will see you back here tomorrow for a free-for-all and rolling toe. Be safe, be profitable, be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey.